No, go ahead, talk. <laughs> Say, you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. No. Do it. No. Do it. <laughs> Say, you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. The WordBros.com. Welcome to the Word Bros. Evan, are you excited? I am. Uh, I'm a big fan of Rombi. I would say, like, because you got me to read the Savage Short because I didn't I did. read it. I saw all the hype with it. I didn't check it out. I'm glad I did. You're a big fan. You, this is I exciting am. for you, yes? It is. It is exciting when you get to, like, interview someone whose work you enjoy because um, it comes from a different perspective than a, like, fan perspective because I, I read Paradiso and I've read the Savage Shores, and I've read uh, Black Mumba that he's talking about. I have all of those, and they're all wonderful books, and I think you should go get them all, and sure. I convinced Bob to do it, and he if did. I can convince Bob to do it, well, he was like, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to read that. That's what he said at first, and I then did. I was like, dude, you would love it. <laughs> I said, you would love it, and then he was like, all right, so he got it. And I did, and it was good. It's good it's stuff. Great. He's got a book coming out Wednesday called Blue and Green. You can check that out. Rom V, all the way from jolly old England, is on Word Bros. A very special guest today, all the way from England in the future. Rom in the future? V. Yes, well, you're in the, <laughs> no, technically, I guess you're in the past, right? You'd be in the past at this point, yes? I no. don't know. I'm so confused at this point. Uh, well, you're five hours ahead. I'm not. I'm not sure time as a construct exists ever since the pandemic hit anymore. We are joined today by Rom V. Rom, how are you today, sir? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Uh, recovering from a bit of a sniffle, but otherwise okay. Now, only a sniffle. You've only got a sniffle. Yes, yes, only a sniffle. Okay, because nothing cause, worse. Because from what I understand, um, I'm not sure where you are in England, but from what I've read, the cases in England are going back up. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, people are people all over the planet. God, and so uh, it's like, hey, cases are going back up. I step outside to go buy some coffee and it's just like 15 people on the road, no masks, all hanging out. Like, <laughs> what are you guys doing? All right, I'll give up. I'm just gonna go home. <laughs> That's the only place I feel safe is at home in, in, yeah. in the safety yeah. of my four yeah. walls with my family because I know they're good. I'm t it's, like a, it's like we're living the thing. John Carpenter's the thing, like someone's yeah. got this thing and they're gonna pass it along and we're all in trouble. Yeah, I mean, also, I grew up in India, so I totally, like, like on, one, on, on one hand, I'm like, what are you guys doing? You guys are standing too close. On the other hand, I'm like, nah, I grew up in India. We, we, <laughs> like, we have no idea of personal space. You can stand here if you want. It's fine. That's awesome. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin is super excited to have you on. I I'm am. excited to have on. We're both big fans of your work. Um, Thank you. You are I'm just, excited to be here. You yeah. were just, you're just saying that because we're talking. You're just, I bet you say No, no. I mean, ge ge genuinely, 
Kevin's Friday follow is like a thing I can set my watch to. <laughs> I've heard this before. I, I do it a lot just because I want I want people to love comics as much as I love them. So yeah, yeah, no, I get it, man. And and you know, I'm usually I'm one of these like super not motivated on social media kind of guys. Like I I'll broadcast my work, but beyond that, I don't do much. And so I always appreciate people who are like, hey, you guys should follow Rob. I'm like, yes, someone else will do this for me. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. I mean, to be <laughs> fair, time. who has time to do social media when you're writing all these great comics? You've got lots of stuff to do, man, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's also, you know, another platform where I have to type words. It's <laughs> not ideal. So, yeah. I mean, we're just here to ask you the deep questions, like your favorite flavor of ice cream. And we're not going to ask anything about the books. I'm just kidding. Um, what is I, I'm a, that's what, that's what fine. Is, I, could, I could talk about vanilla for a really, the various nuances of vanilla for a really long time. <laughs> so what's your favorite type of vanilla then, if you had to pick one? Because to my uncultured palate that's been burned by black coffee and my former Jack Daniels addiction, it all kind of right. tastes the same to me. So... With your refined palate, which is your favorite? So, of Ma Madagascar vanilla. Whoa, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Madagascar vanilla with uh, pecans and pralines on the side is, is amazing. Damn, son, where are you getting I've never this? had that. Where are, you, where are you getting this ice cream from, Jack? Where are you, where you got a I ice know, cream actually, I think Actually, he made it up. He made it up. He's a, he's a writer. We make crap up. He made that up. Madagascar vanilla doesn't exist. They don't sell that at Tesco. I know that for sure. <laughs> uh, no, not at Tesco, but they do sell it at like a gelato place Ooh. that I know. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. uh, okay. He does have a refined palate. You are not wrong, Bob. <laughs> yeah, he's eating gelato. I mean, we're slumming it with ice cream. My man's yes, got gelato. Exactly. That's how it does. Hey, so when I was when I was in Philly. I used to eat a, a, a tub of Edie's ice cream for breakfast. So I've been there. Oh, okay. All right. Edie's ice cream is not bad. I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we have, um, we have two classy ice creams here. We have one, which is Grater's, which is like the hoity-toity high society ice cream that you get at like right. fancy parlors. Then we have another one called UDF, which is like a gas station slash uh, um, convenience store ice cream. And that is the greatest ice cream in the whole wide world. It's the working man's ice cream and it's awesome. Yeah, see, so I've, I've had the whole range. Uh, <laughs> I used to, no, I used to be a really big fan of ice creams when I was, uh, when I was studying in Philly. And uh, it was a time in my life where I could seemingly put on no weight. So I just feel like shoveling the stuff in. But yeah. So you are in, so you're from India. You yeah. lived in Philly. What did you do in Philadelphia? I was uh, studying to be a chemical engineer. Holy in, smokes. <laughs> in Philadelphia. I was, doing my, uh, I was doing my master's with a specialization in material sciences. Wow. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I did that and I worked as a chemical engineer for three, maybe four years before, okay. before I went back to India. Worked there for a few couple of years uh, before I decided to quit and start writing. So, okay, all right. So hang on, hang on, hang on. And not, wait, wait, not only that, before you even go there, he's also a musician. I, so. I know that. I, I know that because I see the guitar in the background. And yeah. I know your newest book from uh, Image is like a jazz thing, yes? Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I don't, it's called I could, Blue and Green. There you uh, go. Yeah, it's called Blue and Green. Uh, and it's, a, it's a jazz noir horror story. Uh, about a man who finds uh, 
the, like, that he might be the legacy of a musical genius who lived half a century ago and then ends up being haunted by the same things that he, the other guy was haunted. Oh, that's cool, yeah. right? That's fun. That sounds awesome. And that's coming out very shortly, yes? That is out uh, in three days. Damn, so son, three days. Week. Wow. So get yeah, on yeah, that, yeah. three days. That sounds awesome. Yeah, because I saw um, Eric Palicki talking about that, how he said right, right. that everything you do is like must reading. And how does that feel like to, to kind of have that reputation amongst like fans and the industry that everything that you touch is something that I have to get my hands on and read because you know it's going to be great. It's, I mean, it's really nice. It's really cool. Um, and and I'd be I'd be lying if I said that. Oh, it's, I feel like it puts pressure on me. No, because that pressure is the whole reason I write. Uh, I write and I make things so that I can at least even when I look at my own work, I can go. I've never done anything like that before. That's cool. Um, and so, yeah, it's nice to it's nice to see all the sort of internal desires externally expressed by people who, who, who read the book. So that's good. Now, the question I want to get back to is this, okay? Um, you mentioned you were a chemical engineer. You went to college. You got your master's degree uh, in Philadelphia. You went back to India. Then you gave all that up to write. Yeah. What did your parents say about that? They were obviously furious. Yes. They were you not gave... happy. <laughs> <laughs> my, my dad was a chemical engineer. Oh, so. that makes oh. it even worse, dude. That's yeah, worse. yeah, exactly. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, I, I always tell this, it's funny now, um, but my dad just refused to acknowledge the fact that I was trying to do something. First he said, all right, you'll be back in a couple of years. Um, and then, and then I, I wrote a couple of books in India and he was like, yeah, nice hobby, son. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, and then I came over to the UK, I studied creative writing. Uh, I wrote a novel which was nominated for an internal prize. Uh, I self-published Black Mumba, uh, which did quite well. I was invited back to an Indian convention where they wanted me to bring the book along. And uh, my dad said, you know, if you pay for the air ticket to come here, that should be added in as part of your costs. Like, I don't <laughs> understand awesome. how you're making money off of any of this. Like That's what awesome. people will pay to read the stuff that you write? What kind of world are we living in? <laughs> so, um, so you're saying he's a big fan of your work. Is it? <laughs> no, so, so this went on as I progressed through my career, right? I did an image book. My dad was like, what's image? Uh, I, did a, I did a book in DC and I wrote a Batman story. And at that point, even my dad couldn't pretend that he didn't know Batman. So he was like, all right, fine. <laughs> fine, I, I suppose it's going well. That's awesome. If it makes you feel any better, Rom, that's exactly what my dad would have done too. So yeah. if he were still around with us, he would have, no, he would have done um, the same thing. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I, I mean... My dad's it, pretty happy now, so. <laughs> that's it would have been the same way. Well, so. that's because his son is writing Batman stories. Right. You know, right. He, does, he doesn't care so much about the jazz ghost thing. Uh -uh. But I mean, Batman, that's really. Actually, he probably cares a lot about jazz. My first uh, exposure to jazz was we, my dad and I would sit down um, on weekends when he, when he had time from work. Um, we'd turn off the lights in the house. Uh, and he was a big music fan. He was a musician himself. Um, and so we would play, he had a VHS cassette collection, not VHS, audio cassette collection. Okay. 
um, which was, I think, some 500 cassettes strong at the time, which is unheard of in India. Uh, and um, those, they, they had, you know, they had tapes from Art Blakey, Nat King Cole, Duke Ellington, uh, and so really eclectic taste as well, because he used to listen to Indian classical as well. And so we'd put those on and he'd sit there and turn the lights off and he'd explain to me why jazz was great. And he'd explain <laughs> to me why, look at what they're trying to do. He's trying to reach for an emotion that you can't even articulate because it's there in the music. And so I think, I mean, frankly, I think a lot of my artistic endeavors and my, my sort of inclination towards music and art and writing all comes from my dad. It's just that he decided a very long time ago that those were hobbies for him and that he was going to be a chemical engineer. And I did the exact opposite where I went, yeah, okay, I don't like this chemical engineering stuff. I'm going to do this other stuff. So you're saying chemical engineering is just a hobby at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I still use a lot of it. Um, I, like when I do research to, to write stories, my research still tends to be very specific and scientific. And, uh, and I think I know how to do that because I studied the engineering side of it. Um, and, and I suppose there's some measure of um, analytical thinking that it inculcates in you. So you might say I'm even engineering stories sometimes. That, you know yeah, what? I mean, I'll even say you're engineering a good interview because you wrap that around real nice, man. You're like a pro. You've been doing this for a long time, huh? <laughs> no, actually, I started my first thing I wrote was 2016. So, yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Because it seems yeah. like, and, and I guess much of comics is this guy came out of nowhere. And it seems very much that you kind of just appeared magically out of thin air and was like one of the hottest guys in the business. So it's interesting to hear you writing prose in India and all that stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, I used to write, I've been writing since I was 13, to be honest. Um, and, and I think the first thing I wrote uh, was a 40,000 word novella <laughs> ripoff of Lord of the Rings. Uh, which no one should read, but no, no, uh, I want to send us that immediately. I would love to. It's see terrible. It. It's terrible. <laughs> if I read it, if I read it now, I'd be like, "Oh my god, this guy's terrible. It should never be published." <laughs> tell us about the forty thousand word Lord of the Rings novella that you wrote, please. No, I me. just finished reading Lord of the Rings. I was twelve, I think. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. And over summer vacation, I sat down at my computer and went, "I'm gonna write uh, this. I'm gonna write a few words every day." Uh, and I ended up writing something that was quite long. Uh, it had elves and dwarves and, and humans and all that stuff. Uh, and I didn't really, it wasn't really part of my um, sort of social canon, if you will, because there wasn't the D&D crowd in India. There wasn't a reading crowd in India. And so it was something that was really new to me uh, that this thing existed. And so it really spurred me on to, to write um, and looking back at it now, I think it's very unusual to be 13 and, and, and finish 40,000 words or something. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> you were dedicated. And that, yeah, and that's, yeah, I think that's far more important than, than anything else. And, and culturally the separation is crazy because here in America, when, when I was not even 13, there's a D and D cartoon that mm -hmm. we had. And I used to watch that. So that. Like, so they basically fed this, this Dungeons and Dragons addiction that I carry today right. at, yeah. from, from eight on. So yeah. like, it's yeah. crazy, you know? Yeah, like I never had that. The first time I played D&D, &D, I was 
20 something and I was playing with a, with a friend's group like they they worked in architecture and so a bunch of architects would get together and play D&D. &D. <laughs> I got awesome. invited. Yeah, hey, no, you guys great. had the best maps. You had <laughs> yeah. the best maps. Like, 4D map in time. This changes like what are you doing? Fireball. But, it's, but it sounds really interesting though because even at a at a, at a young age, you realize the importance of like dedication to your craft and writing a little bit every day. I mean, I'm sure that helps you now in your work. Yes. I mean, uh, it was, it's part of my personality, to be honest. Uh, if I enjoy something, no one has to motivate me. I will just sit there and sink hours and hours of time into it. Even if it's like a tedious task. Um, like I was telling someone else about this, uh, my dad had a, had a friend who'd given him a briefcase full of papers uh, when he was working and he forgot to give him the combination for the briefcase. And so we just had like a, a four digit briefcase with papers in it. And the dad's running around trying to find this combination number. And I was just like, oh, it'd be pretty fun if I could just figure it out. <laughs> and so I spent, I spent close to half a day and I had blisters on my thumb by the end of it where I just went 0001, 0002, 0003. And finally it was somewhere in the 4,000 and somethings that the, that the lock opened up. Um, but to me, like that incident stuck in my head because I'm the same way. I, I love playing guitar. So if I want to learn a new song and I start learning it, my wife will come in and be like, it's 3.30 in the morning. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm trying to figure this last riff <laughs> um, uh, and so my, my, uh, academic performance was just as erratic. Uh, I enjoyed physics, but I didn't enjoy chemistry. So I'd get like 60 out of hundred in chemistry, but my physics would be at like 98 out of hundred. Uh, and so I think it was just a personality thing and I'd always loved both writing and art. Uh, and so no one would ever have to tell me to put time into it. So as that pertains to your writing um, with, with it also shows in like the fact that you basically take on whatever genre you're doing superheroes at DC, you're doing a, a jazz uh, noir book, which is, which is a great mashup, a genre mashup. And then like the first book I read from you was Paradiso, which is yeah. like a sci-fi, like apocalypse mashup. Like it's yeah. like, it's both, it's very sci-fi, like kind of steampunky, uh, I would say um, mi mix with like um, Mad Max kind of apocalypse vibes. Yeah. Um, so th there, and uh, is there, and then, and then you read these Savage Shorts, which is very like mythology based with like horror. So like there's, there's all these different genres going into every story. Um, so how did that like contribute to, you'd say like your, your interests, how did that contribute to like your, your vast span of genre, like writing? Is, is there anything that you do to, to like tackle a genre or you just have all these genres waiting to come out of you? No, I think, uh, I think that part links nicely into the, the engineering aspect of it is to an extent, you know, good stories are just good stories and it doesn't matter what genre they're, they're in. Right. Uh, and, and good stories work for certain fundamental reasons um, in that uh, there's some measure of empathy you have for characters in there. You're invested with their choices and what they're going to do. Um, you're, you're invested into 
the thing that the story is exploring. And these things you can do regardless of what genre you're writing in. Uh, and then separately, you look at every genre and you go, okay, every genre has some matter of expectation associated with it. When, you, when you're reading a horror book, you expect to feel uneasy, to feel afraid, perhaps palpitate at some point. Uh, if when you're reading a science fiction book, you want to be pushed into thinking about science and reality and then and, and, um, scientific ideas in a new light. And so really what every story is just doing is marrying the expectations of the genre with the, the components of a good story. Uh, and to me, uh, I've just always been interested in all of these things, like, like the thing. Yeah, it's a horror movie, but it's also a science fiction movie. Uh, or or uh, Eternal Sunshine, Spotless Mind. It's a, it's a lovely human drama, romance, but it's also a science fiction story. And so almost, I think I use different parts of my brain to, to write the story and to engineer what genre it's gonna fall into. Uh, and so that's why I don't, I don't particularly have a genre that, that I'm, I'm drawn towards necessarily. I'm more drawn towards, oh, wouldn't that be a cool story in this genre? And then I will go about going, okay, given everything I've read in this particular genre, what are the expectations and how can I either, either subscribe to them or, or, or defy them or play with them in some way? which is kind of what, what I did with These Savage Shorts, where I had read, obviously read Stoker's Dracula a really long time ago. I'd read a few Gothic novels, um, but really I, I wasn't into that whole kind of Gothic literature until I decided to do These Savage Shorts. And then I went, okay, I'm gonna read this and understand the expectations of this genre and then play with them. And it, I mean, it's clearly effective because that's the work that put you, I guess, I don't want to say on the map, but that was the one where people were like, dude, you got to watch out for this guy. And it's been kind of a nonstop ride ever since then. Yes. Like you yeah, took, yeah. like you just, um, I mean, like a rocket ship, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I've done a couple of things, but, but these seven shores is really the one that people started taking note of the fact that I was do, doing something that wasn't, that you couldn't find in, in, you know, say you picked up another book, it wouldn't look or read like these savage chores. Mm -hmm. Whereas with something like Paradiso, you can still find other books that are in the same space that are still still doing similar things. And so I think my progression towards these savage chores was okay. Now these savage chores is something that is uniquely a story that I could tell because I'm from India because. I've read vampires because I've read Alan Moore, but also I'm a modern comic book writer. And so all of those things just seem to come together and create this confluence of, of influences where I could make these savage chores and, and have it be uniquely me. And I think one of the beauties of these savage chores is it's such a massive story. I mean, you're talking about like the war with, you know, Great Britain and India and all these different families kind of vying for positions, but yet you were able to make it such a personal and kind of almost like, you know, like tell this beautiful love story between these two people. It's, I mean, it's, it's a really great work, man. Congra I mean, congratulations. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful book. 
I would agree. And like, I, and not, not that it's lip service. I told Bobby, I was reading the book for the first time before I tweeted about it. And I got to the chapter and, and spoilers ahead. If you're listening, you haven't read it, you should go buy it. Like you should, and, it's wonderful. And, and I got goosebumps on the part where the lady got there's stuff that happens to the lady. I don't want to like say too many spoilers, yeah. but there's a line in there that she says in the beginning. And she's like, so tell me how you were made when she's talking to the Raksha. And like, so he's, he, he recounts the story to her and you could tell like, it's like how they, how they basically bond her bonding moment with him. When she comes back to him and so, after something happens to her and she says, so let me tell you how I was made. I got goosebumps. I was like, Oh, that's, I, I was like, here's a mic drop. That's amazing. Like I had to stop reading for a second. It was so good. So um, like I as, did. as a yeah. writer when you wrote that line did you get up and like do a dance around your office like I'm the best I was like that was, that was you, great you kind of style around for a hot minute <laughs> so so to be honest like the whole how were you made thing yeah. was not intended at all really oh, wow like I sat down I sat down with page one <laughs> and I went okay how do I start this thing and and literally it was just sitting there for five minutes going, oh, it might be nice to start with like a a creation myth for the Rakshas. And so I started with that. And then the more I wrote the story, I just realized I could just keep layering this over and over, use a different creation myth each time. And it, it just adds to the enigma that he is. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. I got to the end of that chapter and I went, oh my God, what if she says, let me tell you how I was made. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. It, it is so good. Well, that's the fun, but I mean, I <laughs> think that's the fun so part good. about uh, about the process as well, because you may have an idea in your head about how you want this thing to go, but it takes so many kind of twists and turns along the way as the creator. I think the improvisation of it is what makes it fun for the creators. I don't try to map that stuff out because if I did, then I would have all the, already told the story in my head and it would just be boring for me to write it down on paper. So you're not an outline guy. No, no. So blue and green really is, is the farthest stretch of that idea where I had no outline, zero. I didn't even write down uh, an outline once. <laughs> uh, and the entire book was written with me writing a page of script, sitting down in the morning with Anand, who's the artist on the book, and going, hey, this is what I think we need to do with this page. This is the dialogue. And then we talk about it. And he'd come back with the art the next day. And I would look at that and go, okay, now the next page, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> and that, it, it, the entire 120 something pages were written like that. So then, so here's my question more from like a nuts and bolts of it as like kind of how the sausage is made kind of vibe. So how do you pitch something like that that doesn't have an outline, that doesn't have like an A, B, C, D? Because if you look at a lot of pitch documents for publishers, they want things, here's what we're doing, here's your issue layouts, and this is how it ends. So how do you go about pitching something that's so kind of organic in its creation like that? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't. Um, my my pitch usually is very high concept, and then so 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 blue and green would have been pitched as, hey, this is a jazz noir horror story, where this guy comes in and finds a photograph, in his in his mother's house after her funeral, and his pursuit of the identity of the man in that photograph takes him down a downward spiral. 
uh, and a bunch of stuff happens. And that's it. And that's so. Wait a minute. So you're that's telling me. Pitch. So you tell me you go to Eric Stevens at, at Image and you say, and a bunch of stuff happens. And they're like, all right, cool. Here's your contract. Get the fuck out of here, man. No, no, no. So, but but the but Image works very differently. I know. Right? I know. So so the thing I pitch to them doesn't have anything in terms of outline. It has a very short description of the book. And then it just has pages. Uh, and you can read the first, whatever, five, six, seven pages. And if you're not convinced that I'm a good writer by the time you've read those five or six or seven pages, then you shouldn't be hiring me. <laughs> and, that, and if you're convinced I'm a good writer, then I shouldn't need to justify what I'm going to do in the rest of the story to any publisher. God, listen to you. That's so wonderful. Because, I mean, pitching is so different for everybody when, when you... Yeah, I mean... To be honest, like even when I'm pitching stuff at, at, at DC, uh, yeah, I, I do need to give them more info because these are their characters and I'm doing stuff with their characters. But there does get a point where sometimes, you know, my editors will go, hey, but can you break this down? I'll go like, no, I, I won't break that down because if I break that down, then I'm, that's, that's set in my head and that's what I'm going to be writing. And it'll be much better if I don't have an idea of what that is and I go in cold and I try to do something interesting. I've done enough stories for you to know by now that I can pull stuff off. So you shouldn't need me to break this down. And I think, I think editors will accept that uh, if you've proven to them that you are more thoughtful than your pitch. I, now I just picture you sitting in your office, like typing like a madman with the Pee Wee Herman music in the background, du, 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 and like your seat, and like your seats on fire, and you're just like, "What? Are, where do I go now?" Du, 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 du. It's that's I, oh man, I genuinely have these moments where I'm just like, "What do I do now?" <laughs> and, and usually, usually the answer is to be found in the 25 to 30 minute walk that it takes for me to go get coffee from the, the cafe down downhill from where I live. That's uh, so so I'll go get a coffee, I'll come back, and usually by then I will have an answer. Uh, now, that's here, awesome. Now, now, hey, let me ask you this, Rom. What if there's no answer after the walk? Do you just keep walking and just like pack your things and, and leave? <laughs> like, never, well, you, never well, you can't, right? So <laughs> you can't, you have to, you have to kind of rely on, on craft at that point. Mm -hmm. Because uh, that's, I mean, I guess that's the difference between being a professional and being an amateur at something is, I mean, even as an amateur, you can still produce great work, but you're relying on inspiration. And you kind of become a professional when you go, okay, the, the inspirational magic, 3 a.m. in the morning, I'm grabbing a whiskey because I've got an idea stuff is not working today. And so, okay, let's sit down and break this down. What are my character's motivations? Where am I? Okay, who needs to, something needs to happen here and I don't have something planned. So let's just do, and, and, and there are terms for this in Hollywood. They call it a body drop. They're like, oh, things have gotten boring. Okay, let's, let's just have a body show up. Things will get interesting from <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, right, yeah. Uh, and so there, there's terms like this in screenwriting all the time. The, the only difference is that by the time I've gotten a final product done, as a reader, you can't tell where I struggled and I couldn't, if, if you can, then I'm not done my job. Yes. But that doesn't mean that I didn't struggle. There's definitely parts in like, like these seven chores, 
issue five took me forever just because I had no idea what to do once they got to, to, to London. And I was like, oh, well, what do we do now? And then I just ended up writing, uh, I don't know if you remember this, uh, but page where they're in the carriage and there's yes, just I remember. Their, their hands. That was written entirely because I had, I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm writing here. Let me just do this carriage stuff and see where it goes. <laughs> I loved how that, that got handled since, I mean, in the, since we're going to talk about that, that, that part was amazing because it was like, he, they were both very gentlemanly and then like, and now we're going to go out and beat the crap out of each other. Yeah, because like, it, was, it was the done thing, right? And even in Victorian times, you're like, you've insulted me, sir. I, I request you to step outside where we may shoot each other. Yes. So, or we may stab each other to death, whatever it was. But, but yeah. that's how it was done. Yeah. Uh, and because the entire book had been done in that sense of old school romance, I thought, yeah, why not? Yeah, versus I think the one thing that I really enjoyed about the climax of that book was the fact that it didn't have too many times when you read comic books, I think, and I don't know if this is editors or writers or whomever, but they don't let action of that nature just kind of be. Right. Like it's it all happened in silence. Like there was no chit chatting amongst the combatants. It was just done. And I thought that was so beautifully done. Because again, in real life, if I'm fighting somebody, I'm not going to be like talking to them or making yeah. quips or stuff. I'm just going to be <laughs> focusing on the task at hand. And in part of, for me, that was like, oh, this is wonderful. Just because you kind of broke that comic mold. I'm sure that was done out of, out of, uh, out of, out of, uh, uh, I guess, on purpose because you're a genius. But I really, that's one thing <laughs> the book that I really enjoyed. That, no, like, but that's, that's the thing, that's the thing uh, you notice even in, in cinema, right? So yeah. you can, sometimes you'll have, to me, the equivalent is to have an action scene where the music's going on and every time there's an explosion, the music changes and then, you know, enters into a different phase where almost the music is a thing that is controlling how you experience the action. So if you take like a, I don't know, diehard kind of action Hollywood flick, you turn off the music and just watch the action. And you're like, eh, it's all right. <laughs> Suddenly your experience of it is, is lessened. But then, then there are all the verite cinema makers who just went, yeah, no music, no background, nothing. I want to hear the gravel scrunching under their feet as they struggle on the ground. We don't want any choreographed action. I just want it to feel like two people kind of grunting as they try to move each other off their, uh, um, off their balance. So, uh, I, it's just a different approach in a comic. I mean, I could certainly do, uh, if you if you read my Justice League dark stuff, I mean, people won't shut up when they're fighting. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, of course. But it's like, are you now, do as a creator and as a writer, do you feel like you're almost forced to put things like that in books because it's what the audience expects? Because when I read The Savage Shores and there was no chit chat at all, even like gentlemanly chit chat, I was like, this is perfect because it felt like it broke the norm of comics. Like you were kind of breaking the, the reader's expectations almost. Yeah, I mean, uh, sometimes you do it because that is the expectation and sometimes you don't do it because that's the expectation. Uh, and and even, even with, you know, the superhero stuff, it would depend uh, on, on what kind of story I was writing there. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm certainly writing stuff in other titles where 
I wouldn't have my characters talk when when they were they were fighting. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I again, it comes to that kind of engineering your story to fit whatever you're trying to do. So uh, the other question I had was, so is your version of the Raksha in the Savage Shores more of the classical version that's found in India? Because the, the version that we were talking, Bob and I talked about when we found it, like, I, I thought about it on Twitter when I got to that point, I was like, it looks like it's going to be a Raksha. And then I think I tweeted that and you were, and you were like, maybe that's what you said. And I laughed because I was like, I, I have a feeling I might be right on this one. Right. And then, but it's not the Raksha I'm used to from playing Dungeons and Dragons because he doesn't have a tiger head. He's not doing like illusionary things. So like it, it completely changed, like, because I, I love mythology. I was like, mm -hmm. I wonder if this is like the traditional mythological version of the Raksha versus the Dungeons and Dragons version of a well, so if you actually look at Indian mythology, the Rakshas are just really hairy, tall, large people with darker skin than the gods. Uh, and frankly, that came about because I'm going to go deep into God, Indian that, mythology. I love, now. I love deep cuts. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So, so Indian mythology is really... Uh, and, and this is a theory, obviously, not, not, a, not a scientific fact, but there's a lot of evidence to show it, that Indian mythology as it exists today is actually a, a, uh, a result of two civilizations meeting up, right? So there was the uh, Indian, uh, Indus Valley civilization, which happened because of uh, migrations from through Eurasia into, into the northern part of India. But at the same time, there were indigenous people in India uh, who were living in southern India. Uh, and so you had essentially lighter skinned people coming in from Germanic areas through Russia, uh, through um, Afghanistan, down the Khyber Pass into India. And then you had people who had lived in the peninsular region of India and they were called Dravidians, uh, and they were dark-skinned, hairy, tall people. Uh, and you got then you got a, a progression of the Germanic pantheon, which is the Norse pantheon. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, the Norse gods were there, and they were meeting the god of this of these kind of Dravidian people who had lived. And this Dravidian god was dark and demonic and monster-like. And instead of fighting, the religion just seemed to go, yeah, okay, we'll take your God. And, and he's kind of like this bad boy God that, that will just sit next to our good and kind and lovely gods. And we don't have to fight. We can be one religion. And that's kind of what happened. And so Shiva, who is an Indian God, isn't originally part of the, of the Norse derivative pantheon which is the indian gods so if you look at the reason i say derivative you look at gods like indra lightning strike and the king of all gods wow who, who could that be <laughs> uh and then you have a god who lives under the ocean and sleeps on a bed of snakes i wonder who that is <laughs> and has a trident yeah uh, and so so you have those gods, and then all of a sudden, there's this one god who shows up who is dark-skinned and is the god of snakes and the god of monsters, and he's the leader of all the Rakshasas, and that's Shiva. Uh, 
And so originally the Rakshas in Indian mythology is just a dark, hairy, tall guy who has mystical ways that we don't understand. Um, and so the Rakshas in Indian mythology are supposed to be shapeshifters. They can take on animal forms. They can be giants. They drink blood. They can be noble. They can be evil. Uh, and so they, there's, no, there's no boundary to what they can or cannot do, just as the gods. So uh, that's kind of where I took the Rakshas from. Uh, and if you notice one of the creation myths, he talks about those who flew to the sky are angels and those who chose to stay on earth are demons. But that's kind of me hinting at the idea of the people who came from the north brought these good and angelic gods and then people who stayed here. So even, even within that, there's, there's commentary on, on what the Rakshas is. That's amazing. I, 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 I was lost for a second there. It's good. I mean, you're, I love the way you're, you're the passion you're telling, even this, this breakdown of the Indian gods, like the, the movement of your hands, like you're in, man. And it's, it's really yeah, kind of- Yeah, no, I love, I love this stuff. Yeah. It's really, but it's really captivating. I found myself more just watching your hands move. And That's like, what I meant. I was like lost yeah, in the like story. Yeah, like, like yeah, you're just a natural storyteller. And I think it, it shows in your work and- you know, I mean, you have continued success and you're doing great. You've got what, uh, Blue and Green coming out as an entire graphic novel yeah. uh, from Image this yeah. week. And then you've got the Justice League Dark that you're doing. And I believe you've got the, um, you've also got the- Catwoman. Writing Catwoman. You're doing yeah. Catwoman as well? Yeah, Liam yeah. Sharp is doing the covers. It looks yeah, great. Dude. Like I've seen it on Twitter. It looks awesome. That's that's, amazing. A, that's a great team right there. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Otto, Otto Schmidt on, on the interior art. Uh, and so these are these are the future state books that I'm doing. It's just Catwoman, Justice League Dark, and Swamp Thing. So they uh, all take place in the future of DC yeah. Comics? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, all take place in the future at varying points in the future. So, so explain, not explain that to me. Like, what do you mean they take place in the future? Is this like, is this like post-metal stuff? Because I, I haven't really read a lot of the DC kind of things that are going on now. So is this like post-metal or is this like DC's version of like 2099 or... How does that work? How does it work? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I limit my how does it work to my titles. Because <laughs> okay. Well, that's fine. That's I fine. I don't know the I don't know the bigger picture stuff. Okay. Uh, okay. And so I don't want to talk about the bigger picture stuff in case I say something wrong. Just make and up then, some stuff and move your hands. Then, we'll believe and it. And then I'll get I'll get I'll get ninjas with DC symbol on, <laughs> on, their, on their chest showing up at night. Uh, no. So so in my titles. Uh, the idea with, with Catwoman is that it takes place in a perceivably near future. So, okay. so, so maybe, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ahead of where we are right now. Uh, and so that's interesting because I get to extrapolate everything, but I don't have to go very far from where things are right now, um, which, is, which is a cool thing to do because, and also I think it's because um, I'm, I think one of the few writers in, in the roster who is doing both the future state version and the ongoing version of the same title. Okay. Um, okay. And so because I get to do that, I get to go, okay, well, I can tie in things in the main run. So you'll read future state and you'll go, oh, well, that's interesting. Oh, well, that's interesting. And then you'll start seeing stuff happening in the main run that you go, oh, this is what's going to lead to that, which is, which is, I think is a cool thing to do. Um, uh, and, and so that's Catwoman, uh, Justice League Dark again is 
maybe a little bit further out into the future from, from where things are going to start with the main run. Uh, and I don't want to say too much about it, but that future is like, oh, things have really gone weird. Okay. Uh, okay. And so we're pushing the idea of, of what happens there. Cool. Uh, and, and almost in some interesting ways, introducing the idea of what happens in future state. And then you, you see it happening as you go through the main run, which I think is another cool uh, concept to play with. And then Swamp Thing, we've just gone, we're gonna set it ridiculously far into the future. Uh, and so then you start getting scenarios like, oh, the, the world isn't the way we thought it was gonna be anymore. And, uh, and so that almost turns into a sort of far-flung science fiction story um, and so that was another interesting approach to take. And, so, your pitch, and your pitch for those was, and stuff happens. And they're like, all right, cool, let's do this. Right? <laughs> like, is that um, so none of these pitches were more than half pages, Damn, half a page That's long. awesome. That's <laughs> we need to learn that. We need to I learn mean, that Jedi mind trick that yeah, Romby has. It's I, I want to learn it. It's not going to work for us because we don't have his track record of success. That's, that's true. We, you know, you need- But, but also, the more you put, into your so 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 pitches are like terrible things okay yes thank you and, they're, and it's a totally I'm different, glad you said that and we it's agree. a totally different skill of writing you're writing a sales document basically well, no, if you're not, not you're pitch not, them you're in not. person i'd be great I, I, I no could, you're I not do. you're not writing a sales document <laughs> what you're doing is you're giving someone the essence of what's going to happen in a story but the whole point of telling the story is that all the cool stuff is in the details. Yes. Mm. Right. And so the essence, especially when you take out all the cool stuff, I mean, Lord of the Rings is really a, a kind of weak, not so confident dude finds a ring <laughs> and then goes on a really long walk to put it into the fire in a mountain. That's it. <laughs> that's the pitch. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the essence of Lord of the Rings as a functional story. If you take out all emotion, all magic, all detail from it. And so what you're really trying to do in a pitch is you're trying to do two things. You're trying to deliver the essence, but you're also trying to highlight why people should care, right? And then once you've answered those two questions, there's no point in doing anything else. There's no point in telling people in act three, <laughs> this is gonna happen. Because no one cares. What, what editors want to know when they look at a pitch is, I have a reason to care what happens to this character or these group of characters. And the ending happens in a way that is satisfying to me, given where it began. If you've clarified those two things in a pitch, you really don't need to do anything else. If people keep asking you to do other stuff, then genuinely, I have written this where I'm like, you hired me because I'm a writer. <laughs> and if you ask me to write what I'm going to do, going to do in a pitch, that means you don't trust me to do the thing that you hired me for. <laughs> you have to trust me. And, and yeah, it is a matter of trust. I mean, people can take really simple ideas and turn them into things of beauty, or you can take really cool ideas and, and turn them into crap. I mean, Look at Matrix 3, right? <laughs> it's, it's awful. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you've, took, you've taken a really cool idea and then you've turned it into just awful crap because you've let go of any semblance of the first fundamental, yeah. well, fundamental storytelling. Because mm-hmm. the first Matrix was great and then the, more the, the further we got away from that, I was like, oh, I'm just not interested anymore. Do you, think, do you think some of that too is like the success of, uh, I mean, like the pressure of success? Because the first film kind of came out of nowhere and nobody yeah. expected that thing to happen. And even I think with the ending of the first film, there's like, there's no need for a sequel. But yeah, like, I mean, there wasn't, yeah. there wasn't supposed to be a sequel yes. and then a sequel happened. So but... it's kind of like they, they kind of, they, they buckled, if you yeah. will, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes you make those choices because you think you've still got a story to tell. And sometimes you make them because, hey, you're successful and, and you want to capitalize on that success. Nothing wrong with that. But things start going wrong when you buy into your own bullshit. Where you go, <laughs> you go like, I must be a genius. So whatever I do works. Then you're then you're screwed. Then you're done. <laughs> the moment the moment you're not deathly afraid of your next creative project, you're screwed. <laughs> That's, that's probably you know the, the, and that's probably I think the best way to end this interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not deathly afraid of your next project, you're screwed. Ron, yeah. this this was a uh, a pleasure. You are uh, a wonderful dude. Blue and green that comes out. What uh, we're gonna release this on Monday, so this October book will be out 28th. Wednesday. Yeah, this book will be out Wednesday. Sold. And, and I'm your Justice League it. Dark is out now and your Catwoman <laughs> and, and all that jazz that's out now in shops. So go check that out. Ron V, everybody. What a guy. Well, where can we find you on the social media so people can, can learn more about all these He great says books? he doesn't like doing that. So why? I'm on, I'm on <laughs> Twitter. If I'm going to keep on follow Friday and people have to follow him until they get the stuff. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm on Twitter and I use it mainly as a broadcast. Uh, yeah. and, and so that's about all the social media I do. I'm also on Instagram but I very rarely post there. And okay. usually, usually it's like, here's a book, here's a book, here's a book, here's what I had for breakfast. Here's a book, here's a book, here's a book. So if you enjoy that sort of stuff, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I am unlikely to be anywhere else. If you're a nutritionist and you want to see if Rom's eating well, then go follow him on Instagram. No, if you're a nutritionist and you want to make sure I am eating on nice plates then because then, <laughs> i don't actually show pictures of what i'm eating it's just like i've finished eating now here's a plate so, so it's like you're it's like you're showing your mom so you can get pudding afterwards like look i'm done like all right you can have dessert fine wrong I, I genuinely the number of pictures i take that my wife looks at like why did you take a picture of this this is weird you should have taken a picture of this when it was nice like 20 minutes ago <laughs> Instagram is weird for writers anyway, because if you're an artist, you just post the beautiful pictures of the things you're working on. Like no one wants to see a screenshot of panel your, or your computer screen. Yeah. Nobody gives Absolutely. a shit about that. Exactly. So, yeah. so, so my Instagram is me going, look at this other person's work. Isn't it great? <laughs> Well, that's wonderful. But again, yeah. thank you so much for being on. Uh, buy all your books because they're wonderful. Rom V everybody. Thank you so much for having me. All right, that was Rom V. What a guy. He was great. What a guy.
if we could only show you guys the hand gestures. Like, oh, I'll put it, I have it, uh, I have video of that. I'll put it up on uh, on YouTube because okay. some of the interviews I have been putting up on YouTube, we have a YouTube page. What is it like the word bros on YouTube? So you can check that out. Um, that's another place where people can go to kind of see what we do a little kind of uh, seeing how the sausage is made. Uh, we have a YouTube page. I want to say it's the word bros. Let me check just to make sure. So you can go on YouTube uh, yep. and, and, the and watch word, us. The Word Bros podcast. You can watch us interview people. We've got some interviews up. Um, Jason McNamara's interview is up there, as is um, – let me see here. Um, keep talking, Kevin. Was that fun the, for you? Because I know you're it, I, I, I am a big Ron B fan. So, a fan. Uh, so um, it, was, it was a great – to know where his, like how, how he works and how his process works because like reading his stuff, you would never guess that he has no idea where he's going. Like you said, <laughs> I had no idea. I would be like, this dude has it all planned out. He's got it, he's got it down to a T, perfect. Well, he knows exactly how to do this. It's really interesting how everybody kind of works though. Like everybody is, like there are some writers that I know that we've talked to are just beholden to uh, outlines and mm -hmm. like everything has to be outlined everything has to be there everything has to kind of you have to see it and then basically you're just filling in blanks our youtube page is um the word bros podcast yep. so that's that's our youtube page your channel just go to the word bros we have brian wickman's interview up jay gonzo uh jamal hennessy blood force trauma guys jason mcnamara jamie jones we've got a few videos up there which is cool to check out if you want to see a little bit more but yeah it's just it's interesting to, you know and i think we have kind of worked both ways like metal shark bro 2 was very much like we're just flying by the seat of our pants kind of making shit up as we go along um so it's interesting just to see how different people work uh, within this, in this, uh, in this field, if you will. Yeah, it's really interesting to try things too. Like the first time when we worked Marvel style, well, that was interesting for us to do when yeah. we did that with the um, um, anthology that we did, that one anthology. Um, so it's it's just weird because it just we will we're willing to try whatever as long as we can produce whatever and um, and, and make sure that what we're producing, like he said, is good. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day so like and that's that where we, we, that we enjoy that's, it that's where we miss because it's just it's, just, it's not that good <laughs> <laughs> all right so that was rom v everybody he what a guy uh check out his books blue and green is out on wednesday this episode is released on monday you can pick this up in two days at your local comic shop i'll be getting my copy and then justice league Same. dark justice league dark catwoman all that jazz that's out too so pick that up find ram stuff and, and and get behind that dude he's a he's a wonderful guy and what an interview what a great storyteller. And then next week we have on Kevin. Who's our guest next week? We have a very special guest. I don't know. Who's Dave, right? We're talking to Dave. Oh, Dave Baker. Dave Baker is coming yes. on next week. So that'll be cool too. Dave's going to talk some Star Trek with us. So that'll be a really fun time. So check that out. The Word Bros Podcast is where you can find us. We're having a, I believe that's it, right? We got to learn our web addresses. Yeah, I mean, we're not good at this. <laughs> Thewordbros.com is where you can find us. Thewordbros.com. Subscribe on iTunes. And uh, you know what? Thank you for listening. You're listening to The Word Bros Podcast, thewordbros.com.